The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Is your life one of great joy and enthusiasm and excitement at, at the opportunity to serve God and be a part of his great harvest? Well, if I'm honest with myself, I would say that, yes, there have been days when this has been true, right? There have also been days when this was not true, when being on mission with God and serving him has caused me great discouragement and even depression, I've been uh, serving God in some kind of full-time ministry or another for 30-plus years. And honestly, a good chunk of those years, I cannot say I would characterize as being joyful in the mission, right? Uh, in fact, uh, for a good chunk of those years, I struggled a lot with uh, discouragement and depression. Um, and it wasn't because I was walking in some kind of sin. I, mean, I really believe that during those years, uh, when I was depressed and down a lot, I was walking with God, right? I was having my quiet time. I was praying. I was trusting God. I was worshiping him. I was really in his will, right? So it wasn't the cause of my depression wasn't that I was sinning or that I was missing God's will for my life. I really look back and believe I was very much in God's will. Um, but my experience was not this, right? My experience was not coming back going, wow, God, that was just so cool and amazing, Right? Uh, so, what, what was the problem? Well, it's interesting. In this passage, this passage is just gushing with joy, right? All over the place. Uh, the 72 come back and they are just, you know, on cloud nine, they are supercharged with uh, joy and excitement. Uh, Jesus himself, it says, uh, praises God. And one, one of the rare moments where we see Jesus in uh, a time of really extraordinary worship and praise to the Father. Not that he didn't do it often, but it's just not recorded often. We see Jesus just bubbling with praise and thanks and worship and joy. Uh, we get a glimpse in this passage of the delight of God in his unfolding plan of salvation. God himself is delighted and, and, and joyful at what's going on here. Uh, on top of that, he says that all those who live in this time who get to see this are happy, happy people, right? They're blessed people to see what the prophets have longed to see for so long. Um, so so it, uh, it, it's a story, it's a passage that's all about joy, and it's joy connected with the unfolding mission of God. Um, but in the midst of this, Jesus gives some very stern warning about what they should not celebrate in. And as we look through this passage, I, I really think... One of the flaws or dangers or errors that we run into is that we can easily celebrate the wrong things. And when we do, uh, the result for us will not be joy, but it will be discouragement and depression. So let's go through this and, uh, and uh, kind of do a self-check. Um, you know, what makes us happy? And are we finding our joy and happiness in the things that God wants us to or are we having problems because we've misdirected our focus and we're actually searching for joy and contentment in life in the wrong places? Even, as we will see here, even sometimes in ministry. <laughs> okay. All right, see what it says. Um, 
disciples come back, and they are, they come back from this mission as conquerors, right? And the language they use is, is language of triumph and victory, right? They come back, and it says they are, um, they are joyful. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. Whoa, God, this was so cool, right? Um, this is the difference between a short-term missions trip and long-term missions, right, right here. Okay, they went out on a short-term mission trip, they come back excited, and that's how it works, right? That's how it works. Um, full of adventure. And they really do feel like they've conquered the world. Uh, and and they, are, they are delighted and charged that even the demons obeyed them. Right? So as they went out, they really met very few obstacles and, and where the demons and evil spirits and things came against them, they spoke against those things and they were gone. They fled. They, they were victorious over these incredible spiritual powers. Right? Uh, and of course, they knew that this power was not their own. They're very clear to state, Lord, we did this in your name. Right? So they're not, they, they understand that they don't have this power. They understand that this power comes through Christ and not just as a magic formula that they throw Jesus' name out, but that in Jesus, uh, and ultimately as we understand in his, his victory on the cross and what Jesus did in his resurrection, he broke the powers of darkness. And as we go out, as, as these disciples did, uh, as his ambassadors in the world, we go in his name and his power and with his authority, and even the evil spirits flee. Um, and the result of that is great joy, right? And, and we, can, we can relate to that, right? Um, when, when you have a sense of overcoming something, of victory, of overpowering your foe, don't you feel happy, right? Don't you feel joy? Well, certainly we do. And a great ex- example of this is uh, after in, in athletic events, big sports games, they always do the after-the-game locker interviews, Right? And they go into the locker room and they ask really stupid questions of the athletes of like, how do you feel, right? And there's two locker rooms. You've got the winning locker room and the losing locker room, right? And you go in the winning locker room and they're shouting and screaming and bust, bursting open champagne bottles and, and it's loud. And they ask them, how do you feel? Well, they feel happy, right? And they talk about how good they are and, you know, they've got lots to say, lots to say. You can't shut them up, right? Then they go into the losing locker room, and it's really quiet, <laughs> and nobody says anything, right? Because that's how it works. There's something joyful. There's something that is great when we experience victory. So it's normal. Um, and, and Jesus actually confirms. He's, he, okay, it's not that their victory here, they're, they're, they're not overstating the case, right? They're not... They're not, you know, unrealistic about what has happened. In fact, Jesus confirms that, that uh, what they experienced and what they saw is really just the tip of the iceberg of what's really happening. That, in fact, the kingdom of God is coming with great victory and triumph as it overcomes the powers of darkness. And notice what Jesus says. He says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Right? says, man, as you guys were out there, this is what I pictured. I pictured and I saw Satan himself falling from heaven like lightning. In Greek, it literally says falling uh, like lightning from heaven falling, casting down. I have 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Wow. Uh, so Jesus affirms, hey, you've got a lot to be excited about because I have given you incredible power and authority to defeat Satan and the forces of evil in the world. Um, talk about conquering, you know. This is not winning a football game or a basketball game. This is not, you know, getting an A on your final exam. This is defeating Satan, right? Uh, should we get excited about that? I'll give you permission. <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And Jesus says, what's happening here and what you are beholding and what you are now part of is the incoming of my kingdom with power that is going to crush and defeat forever Satan and everything that he's tried to do in the world. It's huge. It is huge. And it means the complete defeat and casting down of all the enemies that have come against us. Now, of course, Jesus was not saying here that on this day, Satan was cast down permanently, was locked up in the dungeons, and would never have any further influence. He's not saying that. Satan did not fall past tense, but he's falling. And Jesus is witnessing the, the limiting of Satan's power over the earth. Is Satan still around? Yes. Uh, has the final victory been won? No. But here's the deal. You and I have been, through Christ and through his name, been given power over Satan himself. Right? And so when we go out and we proclaim the kingdom and we bring forth God's kingdom and we start setting people free from his power, Satan is powerless to do anything about it. And when we set people free, they are free indeed. Right? When we uh, help rescue marriages and start bring the peace that we talked about as we prayed for Thailand earlier, when those things come, the power of Satan is broken permanently over lives and over nations and over cultures and people. Um, so, so they have power to overcome. Um, and that power that Jesus describes here and that he, he clearly says has been given to these 72 disciples is power that you and I have as well. Uh, there's some who would argue, well, this was, you know, especially in the other Gospels where this is limited to the activity of the 12 apostles. Some would say, well, the 12 apostles, you know, they could do cool stuff, but the rest of us are just flunkies and, you know, it doesn't happen for us. But I love that Luke included this account because these 72 were not the apostles. Jesus says it was a different group. It was the disciples of, of Jesus' day. It was the normal people who were just followers of Christ, not apostles, not uh, given any particular position, right? But given the same authority and power. And it's a great picture of what Jesus saw unfolding later in the book of Acts and throughout history as followers of Christ, as his disciples go out with power to overcome and throw down the, the rule and reign of Satan. Um, so here's the deal. We are, you and I, if we're followers of Christ in his name and by his power, we've been given an authority that makes us invincible, right? So you can get out your Superman cape, right? Uh, and, and Jesus says, he says this, he says, even uh, you, you can tread on, on uh, serpents and scorpions, and, and none of the powers of the enemy will have any effect on you. Okay? That's a description of being invincible. 
Now, here's a word of warning, because uh, we got to understand what this really means. Does this mean that you can go out and, and play with cobras and scorpions and never get bit? No, that's not what it means, right? You can try it, and if you get bit, don't blame me, right? I'll pray for you, but I'll tell you you were stupid, okay? What Jesus is saying this, uh, scorpions and serpents throughout Scripture, throughout their thinking, were instruments or tools of the evil one that Satan would use against uh, God's people. And what Jesus is saying is, Satan will no longer have power to use any tool or weapon against you like that. Right? Now, scorpions and, Satan's and, and snakes still have their natural, normal power as part of the created order of the world. Right? And so uh, the laws of physics and the laws of nature are still a problem for us. But the point is they're no longer tools in the hands of Satan against us. Right? So, yeah, if you get bit by a snake, the poison can kill you and not make you very you know, sick. Right? But no longer will Satan be able to use those things against you to destroy you, to tear down your faith, or to snatch you away from God's love and care. Right. So that's the power that God's given us. And as we go out, do you ever need to be afraid of demonic attack, demonic enemy, demonic forces, demonic powers? Absolutely not. The only time you need to be afraid is if you're going out in your own flesh and not in the name and power and authority of Christ. Right? But when you go out in the power and authority of Christ, you have been given authority over those things. Now, does that mean they're not going to make your life hard sometimes? Well, no. Does it mean they're not going to fight back? Well, no. But you win. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying here. You win. If you go out in my name and in my power and my authority, you win and you conquer. You have victory over them. We are invincible in his name. Um, Jesus, uh, Paul said it in Romans. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? So that's, that's what unfolds in God's kingdom. And we are very much conquerors in Christ. Uh, and, and that's the point. That, um, the first point, right? We are conquerors. We are conquerors. But notice what Jesus says, right? So they come back, short-term mission trip, excited, right? Newbies on the field. Uh, too much enthusiasm, too much caffeine. Notice what Jesus says to them. He says, uh, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. He says, You are conquerors, absolutely, but don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, right? that you're a conqueror. Right? Jesus says, It's true, but it is not the thing we are to celebrate. Right? It is not the thing that's to be the source of our joy. Um, what is this about? And, and is this really fair? I mean, these guys, you know, these guys come back super excited, and Jesus is going, stop that, stop that. Right? It's like, wow. Um, what is Jesus saying? Well, is he saying that we should never, ever celebrate victory or success? Well, I don't think he's saying that. Uh, Certainly when sports teams win, he's not saying don't celebrate your victories. But I do think he's saying this. He is saying there is great danger 
in celebrating success, especially if that is the primary source of our joy. You get that? If, if success, if winning, if conquering becomes the primary, the number one source in our life of joy and happiness, you will have a problem. We will have a problem. He says, don't make that the thing that you live for. Right? Celebrating your victories. Uh, well, why is that? Uh, what, what, what is the problem with that? Well, why do you celebrate? Why do we celebrate? Right? Why, why, what is it about victories that make it so exciting? Well, if we are honest and if we evaluate what, what happens when we win, right? what, what happens when you win? How do you feel about yourself? Well, I know how I feel about myself. I feel I'm happy because I'm better than you, right? Because I beat you. I'm better than you, right? And that's what makes me happy. Honestly, isn't that how it works, right? And I love how this works. I don't even have to be on the team. I don't even have to play the game, right? I just have to be cheering for the right team. <laughs> ha! I'm better than you because my team won. I cheered for the right team. It's like, yeah, how many times did you like kick the ball or carry the ball or whatever? None, but I won, right? Makes us feel superior, better to others. Um, and I love how this is true not only on the sports field, but it's true in every area of life, even in the church, right? How many, how many times do we brag about our church because it's bigger? Uh, we, we keep score of things like attendance. You know, our church has 8,000. Our church has 10,000. We keep score of the size of the building. Well, our church costs $89 million to build. Well, that's nothing. Ours costs $189 million to build, right? Um, we, I love this one, right? Now we're keeping track of podcast downloads, right? I think I average about eight a week. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> right? uh, but those guys, you know, it's like top number one, whatever. You know, all these ways that we, we keep score. And what does it mean? Well, obviously, you know, my pastor has 10,000 downloads a week. He's obviously a better preacher than your pathetic pastor, right? It makes us feel better about who we are because our identity gets wrapped up in, in a worth that's based on me being better than you. Right? And that's a lot of what winning is about. And Jesus saw the danger of this in the disciples, that they start feeling a spirit of triumphalism. Were they triumphant? Yes. Should they be uh, going on an attitude of triumphalism? No. Right? No. And the church is oftentimes guilty of that. And the world despises the church when it feels what? Superior because we feel we're better than everybody else because we win. Right? It's not the way to win the world. Right? So, um, and so the point is this. You know, we we got to be careful that success does not lead us to pride. Right? That we celebrate victory as a way of boosting our pride and our ego. It's interesting. Jesus also says this in verse 21. He says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, the learned, and I have revealed them to little children. Uh, same kind of thing going on here. Uh, how many of us were terrible at sports, could never win at sports? That would be me. So I had to resort to the next best thing, trying to be smarter than everybody else. 
which was okay for me where I grew up in rural, a rural farm town where, you know, I could be smarter than a lot of people because there were only 12 of them, right? Um, and you get in a small enough pond, you can always be the, big, the biggest fish. Um, but don't we get a lot of satisfaction and joy out of being smarter than everyone, of knowing more than the other guy? And again, you know, Christians are great at this. And we, don't, we would never say, I'm smarter than you. We would say this. Well, I'm clearly more biblical than you. <laughs> right? You're not being biblical, being translated. You're stupid and I'm smart. Right? That's, what that, that's what that phrase means. If somebody tells you you're not biblical, they're insulting you. Right? <laughs> right? We think our theological idea is better than somebody else's theological idea. We think we're smarter than them. Um, worse than that, though, is the human tendency to think that we uh, can solve life's problems by just figuring it out. Right? That's at the root of secular humanism. Secular humanism is the attitude that man needs nothing but himself to solve his problems and save himself. And that's to the root of it. And we think, if I just work hard enough, if I'm smart enough, if I'm diligent enough, I can overcome. I can figure it out. And again, it leads to pride. So Jesus says the first danger of celebrating the wrong thing is it produces in us a spirit of pride. Even when what we are celebrating is, is ministry success. Even what, we were, what we're celebrating is the advance of God's kingdom over evil. Right? Jesus said even for this, even where you're seeing God work in powerful ways, there is great risk that it fosters in you a spirit of pride. He says don't go there. Right? Don't celebrate that. Um, another reason that I think uh, this is a problem is that when we make this, we make winning and victory the pursuit of joy in our life, we set ourselves up for huge disappointment and failure. Right? This was the great and glorious first time short term missions trip, right? And Jesus knows that uh, phase two, the long term thing, is not going to look quite so successful. And he keeps warning them that there's going to be persecution and that uh, there's going to be enemies who come against them and there's going to be problems. And we know that uh, in Acts, they, it didn't always look like victory, right? They win, they won, but it doesn't mean that winning won't kill you, right? That's the reality. And uh, when it kills you and when it beats you up, it doesn't feel a lot like winning. Okay, how many of you have been there, right? It's like, yeah, I get the whole victory thing, but it does not feel like victory. And it doesn't look much like it either. Because Jesus sends us out in weakness. He sends us out as those who suffer, as those who subject ourselves to being beat up. Because that's how we will win the world. Not by a great show of power. So even though uh, we, we win... Oftentimes it looks and feels a lot like losing. And Jesus says, look, if, if sensing or feeling that you win, right, is, what, is, is how you derive joy, you're just going to be really disappointed a lot. Because a lot of times it's not going to feel that way. For me, that was one of the uh, huge obstacles for my experiencing joy through much of my ministry years that I talked about. I was depressed a lot because... Uh, you know, I would have a great day of great success. People would get saved or we'd have some program and lots of people would come and it, w- it would go well and I'd go, yes, I'm successful, 
you know, and I would rejoice in that. And three days later, the whole thing would fall apart, and I'd do something else, and nothing worked, right? And people didn't get saved, and people complained, and people didn't show up. And what did I feel? Well, I would be depressed, right? Because there's no joy in what looks like failure, right? And Jesus says, look, if you, if you wait for the circumstances to line up so you feel good about what's going on, you're going to just be on a constant roller coaster of up and down. One day you're going to be on cloud nine celebrating victory. The next day you're just going to be depressed. And have you been there? Right? Have you there now? Right? It could well be because you are pursuing joy in the wrong place. And you believe that success and victory is what's going to make you happy. Jesus says, don't celebrate that. Don't celebrate that. Um, there's one more thing, but I'm going to save it to the end. One more downfall or danger why I think Jesus warns against this. Um, but let's move on real quick to what, what Jesus says we should celebrate. Okay, so we're not going to celebrate victory. What should we celebrate? Well, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, that you're a conqueror. But instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Right? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does that mean? Well, uh, we are to ultimately rejoice and celebrate that we have been rescued. Right? We're to celebrate being rescued. Uh, in, in genres of movies, there's all different kinds. And uh, there's two kinds that, uh, for me, bring great joy and that I really like. I like watching these kinds of movies. And the one category I would call conquering movies, right? Movies where there's really, really bad guys. Maybe it's an army or just bad guys or some power or force. And there's a group or an individual who are out to conquer that force. And there's, it's hard and there's battles, but in the end, they, they conquer and win, Right? And in, at the end, everybody cheers and celebrates victory. And it is true, that does bring joy, right? Uh, can you think of some good conquering movies? Anybody? Conquering movies? Braveheart. I don't know that he actually wins, actually. <laughs> Didn't he, like, die in the end? <laughs> what else? Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Great enemy, great struggle, great conflict. Any others? Star Wars. Yeah, overcome the, the dark side. Uh, Spider-Man, X-Men, Hunger Games, Lord of the Rings, I said. Somebody said, yeah. Conquering. And they, we like those, right? Because it helps us feel like winners. Because we obviously root for the good guys, right? Uh, it's, it's kind of a sad day for those Darth Vader fans, you know. But for the rest of us, it's victory. But there's another kind of movie that I really like actually even more, that I, I, I call rescue movies, right? Rescue movies. And in these movies, the characters are so overwhelmed, they will never win, right? They're never going to beat the enemy. Their only hope is to be rescued, and, and somehow in the movie they are. And usually the, the, the reason they'll never win is oftentimes the greatest enemy is themselves, right? What they need to be rescued from is their own uh, fears and fears and worries, and, and flawed personality, right? So can you think of any good rescue movies? Besides The Rescuers Down Under, okay? Not that one. Any good rescue movies? How about 
Uh, del- every, every, what's that? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Good rescue movie. The others? Behind Enemy Lines. I haven't seen that one. I'll take your word for it. I'm taking they were rescued from Behind Enemy Lines. Okay. Castaway. Ooh, Castaway. Very much a rescue movie. That's right. What? Captain Phillips. I didn't see it yet. Good rescue movie. Um, I don't watch enough movies. It's part of my problem. <laughs> a couple I thought of. Uh, well, let me just pick one, right? Um, uh, anybody seen the movie Frozen? Who has not seen the movie Frozen? Wow. Okay, you don't have children or grandchildren. Right? Wow. Good for you. I'll bet you can sing the song anyway. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We're going to actually close with that song today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Tempting as it is. Uh, for a great rescue movie. If you haven't seen it, it's your homework. Go see that movie. Uh, the princess is rescued largely from her own imprisonment of fear. And in the movie, she's actually rescued by her sister who, who gives up her life, who steps in front of the sword and takes the blow. Great rescue movie, right? Um, so the question, so the real question is, out of those two categories, which, which type do you think God would like to watch the most? Well, uh, I think the second. And the reason is because it's the story he wrote, Right? Think about this. God is conqueror, right? God wins, right? I don't care who the enemy is. God just wins. But when God went to make his own story and write his own movie and deliver his own script, it was not a conquering movie. It was a rescue movie. Notice what Jesus says. Um, In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you have revealed them to who? Little children. Literally babies. You have revealed these things, your salvation, to babies. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. This was your great pleasure. In in this this verse, some powerful words we need to talk about real briefly. It says that Jesus rejoiced. Literally, it means that he exalted. He rejoiced exceedingly. Okay, it's, it's one of the most strong words you can use for someone who's rejoicing or celebrating something. And Jesus is celebrating the way God chose to unfold his salvation in the world. Uh, he says, Father, I thank you. It's, it's really a word that captures joyful praise. Okay, joyful praise in what God has done. And what does he do? Well, he praises God for rescuing the weak. He says, look, God, I am so thankful that you did not, in your plan, do it this way, where you would would put out a riddle, a mystery, and that the the wisest and smartest who who, uh, thought hard and were diligent in study and who applied their ability could conquer and solve the riddle. That's not how you did it. Instead, you chose to reveal yourself and your salvation to babies. What's the difference between a baby and a, and a, 
a very learned scholar. Well, what? Who knows more? The scholar. Who knows nothing? The baby, right? Babies are helpless and weak. And they're conquering nothing. But God chose to save people like that, right? It is a rescue story. In that story, we are the babies. We are the ones who know nothing. And the reality is that the smartest person in the universe, Einstein, whoever you want to pick as a smart person, have they found God? Well, in fact, most of them have only gone farther away from God because we cannot figure it out on our own. God's beyond our mental grasp. It's only by God's revelation that we know him. Uh, he continues on and he says this, uh, All things have been handed over to me, Jesus is saying this, by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. There's no human being that can know and grasp and comprehend God. Only Jesus can. Uh, or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Right? God's out of reach. The only one who knows him is Jesus. The only one who really knows who Jesus is is God the Father. But God has chosen to reveal him to weak, helpless people like us through Christ right, to save us. It is a grand and glorious rescue story. And Jesus exalts. He praises. He says, God, I rejoice that you wrote a grand rescue story. And I love it. It says that God himself delights. It is his great pleasure to do it this way. Right? Uh, what does that mean? Well, it just means this. What should be the source of celebration? Right? What should be the primary place we go to rejoice and celebrate and find joy? In conquering or in being rescued? Right? In being rescued. And here's the good news. Here, here's how this works in real life. When your source of joy is the fact that you were rescued by God, you were, in Jesus' words, an idiot, right? You were not smart enough. You were not bright enough. You were not powerful enough. You were weak and helpless, but God saved you, right? And that's what you should joy, joyfully celebrate. That's what you should rejoice in. The good news is, when is that ever not going to be true in your life, right? On the day you crash and burn and have your biggest failure ever, is that still going to be true, that Jesus rescued you? Absolutely. Right? So you don't have to get depressed because you can say, I'm a failure, but I am a rescued failure. Right? And that's good news. I can rejoice in that. I am a screw up. Right? The plans that I made didn't work. Doesn't matter. I'm still just as rescued as I was before. Right? It makes a joy that can never be taken away, right? can never be lost. Because we're always people who have been rescued by God's grace. And our name has been written in his book. Uh, Jesus closes this way. He says, Then turning to the disciples, he said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but they have n did not hear it. Right? Um, he says, look, you live in a happy time. 
because it's a time of fulfillment, right? And what is the fulfillment that they looked for? Well, it ultimately is Jesus, right? Jesus came, and he's the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he came, he died on the cross, he rose again. He's the fulfillment of all of it. And the unfolding of that salvation, God's saving plan, happened beginning with the disciples. And we still, we still see it, right? We see Jesus and what he did. And, and around us and in us, we are seeing the unfolding of the fulfillment of God's promise. He said, happy are those people. Blessed, happy. It's the same word that's used in the Sermon on the Mount for the Beatitudes. Okay, happy are you who get to see the fulfillment of the promise, right? That God unfolds his salvation. That should be the source of our joy and our happiness. Um, remember I said there was one more danger to uh, celebrating the wrong thing. And here it is. Um, when we celebrate victory, when we celebrate overcoming, when we celebrate winning, who is the focus of that usually? It's usually me, right? It's my victory. It's my accomplishment. Oh, yeah, I did it in Jesus' name. That was cool. But really what we're celebrating is me as the hero of a story and what I did to accomplish great things. And so that's the danger. When we celebrate God's uh, great saving plan fulfilled in Jesus, the era we live in, who are we celebrating? We're celebrating Jesus, right? The focus is no longer on me or about me. It's all about him. Right? And that's as it should be. Right? That's as it should be. Happy are those who see Jesus, who see the unfolding of his salvation in this end time when God's kingdom comes and Satan falls. And those of you whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you should be happy, right? You have a ticket for eternity in God's presence. Is there a reason to celebrate in that? Well, if there's not, then you don't get it, right? And you need to go back and watch a lot more rescue movies. In fact, that's, that's your homework for the week. Um, you know, find your favorite rescue movie and see in it what God did for you, right? The joy and celebration there is in being rescued by a loving God who loved you so much that he saved you when you were helpless and weak and nothing. Right? And worship him. Celebrate and find joy in that. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.